G'day, you're listening to a sermon from Good News Christian Church. My name's Bernard. I'm the preacher and minister at Good News Christian Church. During this coronavirus pandemic, we're actually streaming, live streaming all of our church services. So after you've listened to this sermon, you might like to, on Sunday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time, 9.30, get across to our YouTube channel and join us for a whole church service. It's never been easier to come to church. Anyway, for now, why not read the Bible readings that are written down in the description, uh, read those and then listen to this sermon and get in touch sometime. I'd love to hear how you go with it. Cheers. Luke chapter 18 is the passage that I'd love you to have open in front of you, if you could. Uh, that's the one I'm going to be referring to, Luke chapter 18. So, but I want to begin with a reflection, something to uh, pique our imaginations. Looking back over the course of uh, your life, uh, I wonder if I can get you to call a few things to mind or a few people to mind. Looking back over the course of my life, uh, there are some men and some women and some young people as well who really stand out as people whose faith I've admired. Like spiritually, I've just, I've watched them, I've noticed them, I've benefited from them, been inspired by them, I've wanted to emulate them and I wonder, can you please just call to mind some of those people for you in your life? Um, so uh, let me give you a few examples without naming names. The minister of a church that I was at in my younger days as a Christian, he managed to hold together deep biblical truth and insight on the one hand, together with a passionate and um, practical and yet still patient, he wasn't an impatient man, passionate, practical, yet still patient Christian life. Um, in many ways, I think I still... I still aspire to be half the Christian man uh, that he was, and indeed still is, he's still alive. Uh, on my way through school, a friend of mine uh, was, I don't want to overstate it, but he was kind of my spiritual hero in a way. I looked up to him, uh, he was just a very ordinary, unassuming, he was in the same grade as me, uh, he was an uncomplicated guy from a Christian family, but I still marvel at the way that he managed to navigate his way through those teenage years, um, how do I put it, not just unscathed, but like well-liked and not just well-liked, lots of people I suppose are well-respected, I'd say even admired, certainly by me, uh, this spiritual giant, it seemed to me, in my midst as a school student going through high school. Uh, even now, one of my peers um, in ministry, uh, whose preaching I think is fantastic, I, I love his preaching, but that's actually not what draws me to him. He has this unwavering joy in the Lord and I think it's delightful. I look up to him in that, I admire that of him um, and... Uh, but it's not just a joy in the Lord, it's a joy as well that's expressed in a joy in people becoming Christians, a simple-hearted joy in even mature Christians, just growing in Christ, becoming more Christ-like. And I look over at him and at his church, and I look over at me and the kind of pastor I am, and I look at his strengths, and I look at my weaknesses, and I long to be more like him. Can you think of people in your life like that, spiritually you admire them, you look up to them, you want to emulate them and imitate them. Are there people in your life that you look up to on that spiritual level? And I don't just mean competitively, I know things can get a bit nasty, that's not what I mean. Um, no, but be happy for them, admire them, thankful to God that He's placed them in your life. Maybe they're the person who's sitting next to you at the moment. Uh, you know, the, the kind of person who you think, gosh, 
my life would be the poorer for not having him or her uh, in my life. And I can learn so much in my own walk just from uh, uh, observing them, uh, trying to, striving to be like them, that kind of... Can you think of some? I bet you can. Uh, now, uh, for some of us, it, it, I suppose it might even be our own dad uh, or our own mum. Uh, we've seen her life or his life and with mature reflection now, we've seen the fruit of her ways. Uh, perhaps we've even watched her in her later years and eventually slip away. We've seen how others have admired her, who uh, look to her, who now feel lost without her, who had leaned on her during her lifetime. So here's the opening reflection for us as we come to Luke chapter 18 and verses 1 to 34. Um, yes, are we to emulate, meditate on, think over, um, aspire to be like godly, Christ-like, exemplary um, uh, uh, Christian lives of those around us. Um, of course, we're to do that. But do we, at the very same time and with the very same people, run the risk of conflating how we get to God with our ability to be like them? how confident I can be before God with uh, how much and how closely I can emulate their life. What even warms God toward me? What is it that warms God toward me? Do we sometimes conflate that with, wow, how can I bottle a little bit of her spiritual brilliance or his uh, Christ-likeness? Do you see the problem? I think there's a fine line uh, between what a spectacular Christian he is you know, I'm going to strive and drive and try to be like him on the one hand and that's what will make me a real Christian on the other hand, a true Christian, a saved Christian on the other hand. How I'm going with God, do you see, comes to depend in my own mind on how well I can emulate those sincere, godly, lovely, simple Christian lives of my spiritual heroes. And Jesus says to us in Luke chapter 18, where you stand with God depends on just one thing, and that one thing is not you, and it's not your spiritual hero, it's me, Jesus, and it always has been. So, let's uh, pray together as we come to Luke chapter 18. Our Father God in heaven, we do want to begin by saying how immensely thankful we are to you for the privilege that it is to walk and live among spiritually inspiring people. Uh, perhaps that suffering sister in the Lord whose faithful dependence, uh, even through struggle, does startle us out of complacency. Uh, perhaps that clear-headed, clear-minded peer whose zeal reminds us that there's more to live for than what we fuss over and stress over so much of the time. Perhaps a parent, perhaps a sibling, perhaps even a child whose faith might well put us to shame if it were a competition, but they inspire us to fix our eyes on Jesus. God, we want to stop and give you thanks for placing them in our lives. But Father, we do confess that our admiration and our adoration is sometimes more complicated than that and more competitive than that and wanders off into darker and more subtle dynamics of proving ourselves and becoming someone and comparing ourselves and condemning others. 
Father, would you teach us, please? Would you show us Jesus this morning, please? May we see and hear the gospel of grace afresh in all of its life-changing simplicity and beauty, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And and friends, with that slightly longer introduction, I've kind of given away the whole game for today, the main theme for us. Jesus shows us, on the one hand, the subtle seductions of so-called spirituality, and Jesus compares them to the gospel of His grace that is our only hope of ever getting to God. Uh, so that's, that's where we are. We've got a few points. Are there, let's begin with here. Are there people in your life, or are you like this? Are there people in your life who firstly, uh, first of the subtle seductions of so-called spirituality, are there people in your life, or are you like this, who care very much how they compare with the people around them? People who care very much about how they compare with the people around them. And Jesus says to you or to those people, He says to us, look not to how well you compare. Look not to how well you compare. We're actually going to begin in verse 9, so come down to uh, verse 9 of chapter 18 with me. Chapter 18, Luke's Gospel, verse 9, to some who were, have have a listen to this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, Now, brothers and sisters, we've come across the Pharisees a whole bunch of times, haven't we, in Luke's Gospel? And I think, of course... Uh, the Pharisee, well, even, even apart from having seen the Pharisees lots of times, how do we see this Pharisee? I think we see him as a nincompoop, don't we? <laughs> but I want to say, I think he is unnervingly normal, unnervingly normal, nincompoop though he may be. What I, what I'm, when I'm trying to get some perspective on how I'm going in my walk, in my faith, in my journey with Jesus, um, now hopefully it's not as crass as putting other people down, you know, I'm not like that guy or this guy or those sinners. But have a look at verse 12 with me. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Um, I like the way Daryl Bock uh, puts it. I quote him from time to time. He's my favourite commentator on Luke's Gospel. I think we're supposed to feel, how would I put this? I guess the, the popular the popular culture contrast between these two characters in the Pharisees' favour in this particular case. Uh, Have a listen, Bach puts it like this, he says, the Pharisees, the Pharisee, belong to the most pious movement, while the tax collector was part of the most hated profession. It is likely, he says, that tax collectors did not usually come to the temple, because of popular ill will against them. Both men 
offer prayers to God, but in the culture's perception, the Pharisee would have had the more open line to heaven. Did you hear that? The Pharisee would have had the more open line to heaven. Can we just dwell on that? Complete this sentence for me. I feel like I have an open line to heaven because I... what? I feel like I have an open line to heaven because I... what? Is it when I've been coming to church regularly or I guess in our present environment when, you know, maybe for, I don't know, two, three weeks in a row... I've, I've tuned into the live stream or, I've, you know, four out of five days this week, I've even, I've even picked up the daily devotions or, or maybe not the ones from our church, maybe the ones from some other church because, frankly, they're better than our ones. Anyway, they, I don't mind, whatever it is. What is the thing, what is it that makes you feel, when I've been doing this, I have the most open line to heaven? Maybe I've helped someone. Maybe it's when I've managed to keep the kids under some sort of control. Um, without too many blow-ups in, in their little world, or let's face it, maybe not too many blow-ups in my world. Uh, I feel like I've got an open line to heaven when, verse 12, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. He's doing the best he can, isn't he? You know what? In any other area of life, you would think it works that way, that that's how it should work, that's how it must work. You know, our spiritual heroes, let's go back to them for a moment, I bet here's one of the things that you admire about yours uh, and aspire to about them, I certainly do with mine, oh, their prayer lives must be fantastic. They've got an open line to heaven. I bet they're prayer warriors when no one's watching. Yeah, you'd think that's how it should work, wouldn't you? But verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, Rare, the, the one who rarely comes to the temple. You don't see him very much at church, do you? This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, so who, think about this in our own prayer lives, who truly has an open line to heaven, according to Jesus, in this passage it's the nobody, isn't it? It's the disreputable person, the disregarded person. Yeah, but more than that, the nobody, the despised, the disreputable person who what? Who places himself at the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He's not inspiring, uh, aspiring to be a Pharisee. Uh, he's not uh, comparing himself to the man beside him and saying, well, I'm giving it my best. Look not to how well you compare. But secondly, lean not on who you are, which kind of might sound exactly the same, but they're, they're similar. But see if you can identify for me. Let's move on. What defining trait does Jesus applaud when he looks at these babies, these little children? Next little bit, look not to who you are. Because there's something about them. What is it exactly? From verse 15, let's have a look together. Verse 15 of Luke 18. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Uh, they rebuked the parents, you understand, in the, that's what the grammar's doing for us, the people were bringing the babies, it's not the babies who copped the rebuke, uh, the people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus called the children to him and said, 
Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Um, How did a first century posture in parenting uh, compare to our modern world? and our attitude to babies. Um, I probably don't need to say it. I reckon we've probably got a reasonable handle on it. Babies um, may have been important to their parents back then. Of course they were. Of course they were. After all, what were babies in any family? They were the blessing of God. They were uh, the continuation of the family line. They would eventually uh, spell financial and social security for the family uh, as they, as the parents age and to put it kind of crassly, as the children become productive. There's the sort of future plans for financial and social security. My babies, they matter to my family. And your babies matter to your family. But who do these parents think they are? Tying up Jesus' time with babies. Um, Let me put it this way, in no first century family are the babies the boss, right? A first century household was not geared around the all-important child within its walls. What are you doing bringing babies to Jesus? Who do these parents think their babies are? Someone genuinely important? Not likely. Uh, Verse 15, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, do you see? But Jesus called the little children to him and said, let the little children come to me, And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And some say it's because the children are humble, right? Reinforcing the same point that he made with the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's humility that's being applauded. And in a sense, that's probably true. Children are humble in that way. Some say it's because they're dependent, right? Because after all, the babies are brought to Jesus, they don't come under their own steam, in fact the the word that's used here implies very little ones, as in ones who would probably need to be carried and in a sense it's a key text in support of infant baptism but that's another story, they belong in Jesus' kingdom already, uh, do you see? I actually think the primary point though is that Jesus welcomes them, that's the key thing, It's not who they are, how important they are, that they deserve to be in that space, that they command the respect of everyone around them, um, uh, uh, who they are. No, it's that Jesus says, here I am, come to me, bring them to me, let them come to me. Don't you dare get in their way, they come to me because I'm welcoming them. Let the little children come. That's the way everyone gets into my kingdom. How? Because I want you to be there. And I don't care if you're a very important disciple or a very crabby baby, I'm here and I'm welcoming you, let the children come to me. So may I just say to uh, the children among us directly, my children and your children, and can I just also say well done if you're still hanging on um, to this, uh, on your way through this church service and this sermon, can I just say to you, Jesus welcomes you, not because you're special or because you're better, or because you're bigger, or more important, or you've, or more together, or whatever, and not because you'll be one of those things one day. No, Jesus welcomes you. Uh, Jesus welcomes you not because, uh, not because mum and dad are good enough. 
uh, and, or when they speak, everyone listens to them and so that makes you important. No, no, Jesus welcomes you. Jesus welcomes you and He tells grown-ups, don't get in the way of kids coming to me, coming into my kingdom, it's for them, it's for you, do you see? Jesus doesn't just want you when you're bigger, He's happy to have you now, right now, you. It's not who you are, it's here I am, Jesus, here I am, let them come to me. So thirdly, all of us again now, so it's not how you compare, it's not who you are, but thirdly, it's also, listen not to your own long lists, your long lists of how well you've done and how much you've achieved, uh, all the things that we maybe comfort ourselves with when we start to wonder to ourselves, am I a real Christian? Am I a good enough Christian? Have I done enough? Uh, all of those sort. Have a look at verse 18 with me. And just notice with verse 18, it's, I think it's interesting, we're not given a Pharisee here for once. Uh, we know that the Pharisees have kind of got it in for Jesus, we're suspicious of them as readers. What are we given? Um, can you think of someone in your church or as in your church life, your, uh, even just your Christian life, can you think of anyone like this? A man who God has obviously blessed immensely, uh, but not a religious leader, just an ordinary Christian. A hard-working, ordinary Christian who is the most wonderful, um, obedient, spiritual person before God that you can think of. Have you got a person in mind? Can you think of a person like that? Uh, maybe I'm thinking my mate in high school, I'm thinking um, one or two older godly Christian men who just blow me away in their spiritual walk. They're not ministers, anyway, you've, you've got someone in mind, I bet. And I, I do get to thinking, gosh, they must be closer to God than wobbly old me. Verse 18, a certain ruler, here he is, we meet him, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come and follow me. And uh, those of us who have been around church for a while, we, we recognise the question, don't we? And we recognise there's a problem in the question there in verse 18. We spot that, we, we see it. good teacher, what does he say? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, some people are pretty good at doing, aren't they? Really good at doing. And you could say that Jesus, well, from one point of view, you could say that Jesus just gives him another thing to be doing, doesn't he? Do this, um, go and give it all to the poor, give it away, come and follow me. There's a few extra commandments to add on the list that you've already kept since you were a boy, do that. But I, friends, I think that misses the point, doesn't it? Perhaps you, uh, we, me, are a driven person who generally, how do you face trouble and difficulty and challenge in your life, will you get on and do? You push and you strive and you're able to work hard. Friends, do we need to hear this? You can do your entire life and still fail at the one thing that matters. 
What is Jesus really asking this godly, wonderful, beautiful man whom we all admire when we think of them in our own lives? What would, really, what would Jesus really have us do? Verse 23, when he heard this, as in when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the Kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. I wonder, do some of us feel a bit guilty sometimes for not striving hard enough in our Christian walk, not driving and doing harder and more and going further Um, Do you feel like that's the thing that spiritually holds you back? That's the reason that you're not thriving as a Christian more than you already are. Uh, Perhaps you used to strive really hard and push really hard and do so much, uh, but now you just can't anymore. Uh, Maybe you can't physically or or, uh, mentally, you just get tired now. Or perhaps you still kind of could. Yes, that's what's lacking in my spiritual life. Look at her, she gets so much done. Where does she find the time? How does he manage to fit it all in? If only I push myself a little bit harder, that's all I need to do. Jesus says, Jesus says, this guy couldn't do his way to God. The disciple says, then we don't stand a chance. I don't have what it takes. I can't do it if he can't do it. Is that your spiritual life right now? or your spiritual aspiration, or where you think the secret to your spiritual life lies, just do harder, strive further. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. And friends, I think it's that last command actually, so, to the, to the rich man, sell everything you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. And Peter's words, we have left all we had to follow you. If you want to find eternal life, if you want to find salvation from God, uh, a place in His kingdom, an open line to heaven, what lies beyond that impossibly small eye of a needle, then you need to follow Jesus. That's what this passage is pushing us towards, opening before us, uh, uh, shoving us toward and and trust God to do the impossible, namely to welcome you into His house. But the final point, when Jesus says, follow me, do you remember where we're up to in Luke's Gospel? Jesus called them to follow Him where He was actually going. So, Luke chapter 18, verse 31, the very next thing Jesus says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, 
They'll mock him, insult him and spit on him. They'll flog him and kill him. On the third day, he'll rise again. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. The kingdom doesn't belong to people who win their way through life. It doesn't come to those who expect to be heard on account of my importance or who you are. God won't save the people who spend their lives just doing and striving and driving until they drop. The kingdom belongs and the kingdom comes and salvation appears when a real somebody becomes an absolute nobody. When Jesus appeals to the mercy of God and not how much better he is than those filthy sinners in Jerusalem. When Jesus is shut out by everyone who's anyone and yet welcomes all who come to him. And friends, uh, we're not going to delve into it now. I, I, I think we've, uh, we've said enough, but I think that's the God that we meet in verses 1 to 8, the God who wants us to persist in our prayers to him. This is the God that we meet in prayer, the God who sees the hardness and injustice of the life that not only Jesus had to endure, but that we now have to endure as we follow Jesus. God knows this world will tear us apart sometimes. He says, pray the God who promises justice and who brought it once and for all at the cross. Friends, will we follow Jesus? Not just in some arbitrary, vague kind of sense, will we follow Jesus? He's the hero to look up to and admire and emulate and spiritually imitate. Will we follow Jesus? How about we pray together? Our Father God in heaven, Christ does not call us to give up more or take greater risks or sacrifice more lavishly, more than He has done for us, once for all at the cross and unto death. And yet He does call us to follow Him. Come and follow me, we are going to Jerusalem. Father, we ask two things this morning, uh, please. Firstly, would you give us a a personal and honest self-evaluation before the Lord Jesus to see for ourselves where our confidences and our conceits really lie, Uh, we would follow Jesus, not ourselves, and not even our heroes and our mentors, wonderful though they may be, we would follow Jesus. Secondly, Father, we marvel and we praise your precious name that we have in heaven, one who has gone ahead of us, uh, who has become just like us, who now sits in heaven and intercedes for us as we strive to follow Him. And so, God, we appeal to Your throne of grace for help, confident that You'll give it to us. Help us, please, with thanks and joy in our heart to follow Jesus and help us even to help His little children come to Him, whether they be old or young. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.